one of the things I saw that I really identified with, you talked about in the beginning, don't go spending a lot of money and a lot of time to make fancy, fancy brochures and letterheads and, and you know, um, gifts and promotional items with your name on it, your brand on it. And, you know, some folks will spend thousands of dollars on that stuff. Oh, I've seen clients just spend and waste tons of money trying to do all the bells and whistles, uh, you know, the business cards with the watermarks and the gold foil and, you know, the leave behinds. And But I always tell people, you got to figure out your business model, find your reference clients, find those early customers that will be testimonials for you, and you can figure out the other stuff later. You're listening to Entrepreneur Journeys, where I share insights and strategies based on owning and managing businesses while traveling and living on three continents. I also interview business owners about their journey, what they learned along the way, and how that can help you with your business growth. For more resources to accelerate your entrepreneur journey, head over to gapologist.com, where I share resources, events, community, and more. I'm your host, Joe Matz. Let's get started. Hello, hello. Today, I have with us Paige Arnoff-Fenn. She is the founder and CEO of Mavens and Moguls, a global branding and digital marketing firm. And she helps organizations to increase their visibility and profile so they can sell more products and services faster. Welcome to the show, Paige. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. I'm thrilled to be here today. It is a pleasure to have you on here. I love the name of your company, Mavens and Moguls. That's awesome. Well, if you do branding and marketing and you don't have a good name, I think people may question how good you are at this stuff. <laughs> so um, I love the name too. Mavens is a Yiddish term for expert, or as my great grandmother might say, know-it-all. And a mogul is someone, according to Merriam-Webster, uh, someone of rank, power, or distinction in a specified area. And I love the alliteration. And it, it's been a great platform for me and my company. Super. Now, where do you hail from today? So I am in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is basically the Boston area. Mm. But I grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. So you may hear a few y'alls in there. <laughs> That's great. I, I am in the South also. So y'all, you all, that, that's fine. That's perfect. Yeah. So, you know, what we like to do in this podcast page is, is talk about your origin story and how you got to where you are today and, and about what you do today. So my question for you is the following. Was there any indication when you were in school, be it elementary, high school, whatever, that you would be the owner of a digital marketing agency? Absolutely not. I, I joke I'm the accidental entrepreneur. So as a kid, my dad and both my grandfathers were commercial bankers. And so sitting around the table, they would always talk about banking. And I always knew I wanted to get into business. And I just assumed I'd be a banker. And I was an econ major in college. I went back and got an MBA. My first job out of out of uh, college was on Wall Street. I went into investment banking. I thought I'd be a little bit of a renegade since my you know family was more commercial bankers. 
Uh, I graduated from college in 87 and Michael Douglas had just won the Oscar for the first Wall Street movie, which I was completely enamored by. And I thought it looked like a really cool uh, career path. So I went to New York to uh, join one of the big Wall Street firms, but I realized pretty quickly it probably was not going to be a forever job for me, but I had made a two-year commitment and I stuck with it, learned a ton, made great friends. But then I ended up going back to get an MBA. And while I was in business school, I rebranded myself to be a marketing person. I always thought of myself as a finance person because I feel, felt like it was in my blood and I was good with numbers. And everyone always told me I was just like my dad and my grandpa's but I didn't really love the work. I was good at it, but I didn't find it that interesting or fun. Uh, you know, I, I was very um, using the, the quantitative side of my brain, mm. but not the creative side as much. And so I was looking for something different when I went back to business school. And a girlfriend of mine who worked on Wall Street with me said to me, Paige, you're actually not a finance person you're a marketing person. And I said, what is marketing? I never took a marketing class in my life. I, you know, I went to a liberal arts college and I didn't even know what marketing was. I didn't know anyone who did marketing, but she reminded me that on wall street, the three things that I love doing more than anything, when you close a, a piece of business, you know, when you're working on a transaction, a merger an acquisition, you know, raising money, whatever, when the deal is done, uh, you plan a closing dinner to celebrate the end of the deal. And at the closing dinner, everybody gets a gift and you run an ad in the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times to let everyone know the deal was complete. And I was the low man on the totem pole right out of college. So I was in charge of the dinner plans, finding the gift, running the ad. That was like the lowest rung on the totem pole. And I loved every bit of those things. My girlfriend said, Paige, planning dinners, that's event planning, that's marketing. Running ads in the newspaper, that's advertising, that's marketing. Buying deal toys and giving people gifts, that's promotion. All of the things you love about the job have nothing to do with finance. It has everything to do with marketing. And sure enough, so first year in business school, Marketing was a required class. I got the top score in the class and um, I got elected president of the marketing club my second year. So then I went back to my friend and I said, you know what? I think you're onto something. I really am I'm a good marketing person. And I got a marketing internship the summer between first and second year in school at Procter and Gamble. And P&G invented the whole concept of brand management. Yeah. They are the premier marketers in the world every category they compete in they are number one and sometimes number one and number two you know it's tide detergent pampers diapers right. charmin toilet paper pantene i mean bounty paper towels every category they are the premier and i got a summer internship there loved the work they made me an offer to come back i went back after business school so i basically had no clue you know, I thought when I went to business school, my intention was to basically become like Meg Whitman. I wanted to be a Fortune 500 CEO and run a big global business. Like I thought that's what I was 
after I figured out I didn't want to do banking, I knew I loved business and I loved, you know, my dad and both my grandpas were presidents of companies and I wanted to be a leader because I watched them and I thought, you know, I could do this. But it turns out marketing was the perfect career path for me. Huh. So my first chapter was in corporate marketing at P&G. And then I went to Coca-Cola, another great marketing company. And then I got bitten by the dot-com bug in the mid to late 90s. When the internet started taking off, I left my big cushy corporate job and joined the first of three startups as the head of marketing. All three of the startups raised a lot of money and either went public or they were sold. So it was like super fun to do marketing with, with kind of scrappy entrepreneurial businesses. Um, you know, the big corporate jobs have multi-million dollar budgets, very established brands. With the three startups, nobody had ever heard of these companies before, but they all survived. They all did well. They all had good exits. And then after 9-11, when I got bought out of the third startup, I hung out a shingle and started my own marketing firm. So I had no idea this would be my path, but here I am 21 years later, and I love running a marketing business. Yeah, wow, that is quite the journey, quite the journey. Very good. Yeah, you know, when you were when you were talking, it sounded like you were you were very much in school and your first jobs using the left side of your brain until you got into some of that marketing activity for the celebration events. Good thing you were the low woman on the totem pole. <laughs> no, it was such a great learning experience. Yeah. And I realized being trained to be analytical and being very comfortable with data was a huge competitive advantage in marketing because I think the the best marketers kind of use both the right brain and the left brain. Yeah. You know, like to use the data to support your ideas creatively, listen to your customers, do the market research. I think that is the most powerful combination. And um, it's been a huge competitive advantage for me, I think, in my career. Yeah, I would have to agree. There's there's that the whole brain gets involved with marketing to do it right. To exactly. Do it right. And oftentimes you find that you've got two people You've, you've got the one who is very analytic, analytic, very left brain, and then you've got the creative and it works. If you have, if you're able to access both sides of your brain like that, that's phenomenal. And translate, translate the kind of analytical people on the team with the creative, like making sure we're all talking the same language and bridging those conversations mm -hmm. You know, I ran marketing, like I said, at big companies, at small companies. And so some people kind of skew one way or the other. But when you're trying to get the most out of everyone on the team, to be able to talk both languages is huge. Yeah. And today you work with very large companies, but you also work with small companies and startups, right? Exactly. Like two thirds of our clients... I would describe as like mid-market, emerging market, okay. 2 million to 200 million. But yeah, we've worked with Fortune 500 companies. We've worked with pre-revenue, early stage startups. We have nonprofit clients. So we work at all ends of the spectrum. One of the things I saw that I really identified with, you talked about 
in the beginning, don't go spending a lot of money and a lot of time to make fancy, fancy brochures and letterheads and, and you know, um, gifts and promotional items with your name on it, your brand on it. And, you know, some folks will spend thousands of dollars on that stuff. Oh, I've seen clients just spend and waste tons of money trying to do all the bells and whistles, uh, you know, the business cards with the watermarks and the gold foil and, you know, the leave behinds. And But I always tell people, you got to figure out your business model, find your reference clients, find those early customers that'll be testimonials for you. And you can figure out the other stuff later. You know, just get simple business cards. You can have downloadable information on your website, build a simple website, you don't need all the fanciest bells and whistles to start. You need customers. Right. You need people who will vouch for you. You need, you know, people that can be reference clients for you. And you you have plenty of time later to make things fancy. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have seen so many um, early stage companies kind of spend way too much money before mm. they even knew what their business model was, who their core clients were. Right. You know, you've got to figure that out early. And Otherwise, you're, you're just wasting time and money. Right. You've got to spend time and money on things that are going to bring results. Would you like to get in front of more of your ideal clients and at the same time, build your brand and create evergreen content? Well, you can do that with podcast guesting. This very moment, you're listening to a podcast that may have been published today or three weeks ago or three years ago. In a very real sense, you're engaging with the speakers, hopefully enjoying yourself and learning something new at the same time. And you're getting to know the guests and how they help their clients, their customers, and the problems that they solve. You may even be their ideal client and want to learn more about them and download one of their free resources you can find in the show notes or maybe even become a client of theirs. See, when you're a guest on a podcast, you will enjoy that same kind of engagement. It is perhaps the easiest, most cost-effective way to get in front of new audiences. Learn how you can be a guest on the right podcast and engage with your ideal clients with the free resources available at gapologist.com. You reminded me, Paige, of a story when I, when I was young, a very long time ago, and I met a fellow, I was in Italy, and I met a fellow at a coffee shop, and this guy drove up in a very expensive car. And he looked good. He dressed good. I'm like, oh, wow, I've, I've got someone here, you know, and I've, I've got to introduce him to the big guys. And so big guys were coming in and I'm like, oh, you got to meet this guy. And I'll just let's just say his name was John. It was probably Giovanni, perhaps. <laughs> and you got to meet Giovanni. Jo oh, man, this guy, he is the top tier dude. We have got to deal with him. And so they're all pumped up and, you know, oh, Joe found us this guy. And and so. He pulls up in a used, mid-sized, tiny car, and he was not dressed in his suit. And I'm like, what? What? This is not the fellow I met two weeks ago. Turns out he rented that car to make an impression. And he did make an impression on young me. <laughs> Ever since then, I just don't care. 
<laughs> I know you can no. rent cars. You can you can buy a package if you want to be an influencer. You can buy a package and go and and they'll take pictures next to the fancy cars. They'll put you in their private jet that has never left the airport and take pictures of you in the private jet. You know, substance is so much more important than imagery. Absolutely, and I think you know on the internet. Nobody knows if you're some tiny mom and pop or some big multinational corporation. And I think, you know, you've got to be very careful to have a consistent image, consistent look and feel. And, you know, across the different social media platforms, I think a lot of people dilute their brand because like you said, they look one way on one, you know, on Facebook, they want to be kind of, you know, on the beach partying with their friends. Um, on LinkedIn, they're trying to be real buttoned up and professional. On Twitter, they're being very snarky and kind of, you know, not more of a comedian. I think that dilutes your brand. Hmm. And I think people need to, to really uh, make sure there's not any digital dirt out there on you. Because today, before somebody agrees to meet with you, call you, have you on their podcast, you have to assume they're going to Google you, they're going to check you out. And like you said, if they see things that don't add up, or they're scratching their head, like, who is this guy? Is he the guy in the beat up truck? Or is he the guy in the sports car? You know, that that raises more questions than, um, than answers. And it's going to work against you. So right. you know, I think if we've learned anything during the pandemic these last three years, your online presence really matters, your messages really matter, and you better kind of live up to the image that you're presenting. Otherwise, it's gonna come back to bite you. Sure, now I do have a, a LinkedIn profile and I have a Facebook page and I've got a lot of family and friends on Facebook. And some of those folks are on LinkedIn also, some of the folks on LinkedIn have have looked at me on Facebook and I do present a different image on LinkedIn. It, maybe it's not different, but it's it's a different. Um, I emphasize the more business side of me, whereas in Facebook, I might post pictures when we go camping and pictures of my dogs because my dogs are beautiful. Um, but on LinkedIn, I don't do that. Right. I don't. Now, I'm asking you as, as a professional marketer and, and someone who deals with, with branding and imaging, if someone were to look at my LinkedIn profile, they see a pretty professional Joe. Now, I'm casual, but I'm professional. But if they go to my LinkedIn profile, all of a, all of a sudden, they're seeing me in a t-shirt, they're seeing my dogs, they're seeing me at a campsite. I, I think um, you can be casual and professional in the same kind of bucket in that it's an extension of you. Um, I think where you have to tread very carefully is like a lot of people, they post things on Facebook, maybe political things hmm. or activist things. And you have to realize that today, you know, your media is not siloed. Like I said, when people Google you, it's going to all come up. And if you're marching at a protest that, you know, if you were part of January 6th, if any of that pops up, 
you have to realize that professionally there may be consequences to that. Right. Um, and so I would just caution you to like, you know, again, Google yourself, not because you're narcissistic, but see what people are going to see when they look you up, you know, with a name like mine, it's hyphenated, kind of unusual. If you Google me, it's really me. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, if it comes up, they're going to see it. If your name is Susan Smith or Bob Jones, you know, you don't know what's who that person is. Right. But what if you share the name of a serial killer or a porn star or something? You have to be in on the joke. Like, you have to say to somebody, thank you so much for taking this meeting. Obviously, you figured out I'm not the serial killer, so-and-so. <laughs> like, yes. you know, then it's, you know, again, it shows you're professional. It shows you have a sense of humor and you're in on it. Um, so I just think you have to be careful that, you know, I see professionals in marketing that on their Twitter, they are very political. They are very um, posting articles and opinion pieces that are definitely going to piss off a lot of people. And um, that's okay. But just realize that that is going to become part of your brand. And um, I don't have a problem with you being casual on Facebook, but just be consistent in the same, having the same core values as the professional version of yourself. Oh, definitely. It, definitely. And, it, you know, when I say I, I post things on, on Facebook, it's more, I, I guess it's if someone wants to know more about me, who is this guy who I see, you know, professional on LinkedIn, what does he really do? Well, they'll see that I'm a, I like to go camping. I like to go hiking. I, I love right, my dogs. You're outdoors, right. You're outdoorsy. You love your pets. Those are great qualities in a professional that you're healthy, you love nature. That's that's not inconsistent with a professional I would want to do business with. Okay, and I hope everyone sees that. <laughs> but I I agree with you about the the political or any any issue that is polarizing. I I think uh, you should stay away from that unless that is your brand. Exactly. Bingo. Yeah. And there are folks, you know, that's the American made and you can find your Trump flags there and you can find everything Absolutely. made in America because America is first and and all of that. And that's their retail store. Well, that's OK. In my view, because that's what they're selling, that's going to attract their target market. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I'm glad to know that I'm, I'm doing things OK on, on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. And the reason I bring that up is because folks have asked me about that also. So, again, thank you. And I'm sure our listeners are, are happy to hear that. So the other thing you talk a lot about and, and you did allude to it is authenticity. Be you, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Exactly. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people feel like I'm not famous, so I'm not really a brand. You know, if you're not Taylor Swift or LeBron James or Serena Williams, you think like I'm not really a brand. I completely disagree. 
I think today everybody's a brand. Mm -hmm. Everybody has a platform. Everyone's on social media. Everyone's on the internet. So you have to own your brand and you need to be authentically you. Don't try and copy someone else's brand. That's taken. Mm -hmm. You know, I think you need to carve out a niche and own specific real estate in your customers' brains so that when they have a problem that you can help them fix that they think of you first. Yes. And, um, you know, what is it about you that's unique, special, and different? Are there, you know, think about Barbara Streisand with a different nose, Jay Leno with a different chin, Cindy Crawford without her mole. What makes them special, unique, different, and memorable are the qualities and characteristics that make them them. And that's why you remember them. That's how they got famous. So, you know, a lot of people want to erase things that are kind of stand out. I think you need to embrace the things that make you stand out and really own it. You know, what are the two, three things that when people think of Joe, what do they think of? And how do you, how do you really own that in your customer's brain? So that every time people think of that issue, they think, I got to call Joe. Joe's my guy. He'll know what to do. He'll know who, who can help me. So for me, you know, I really tried to put a stake in the ground in marketing. I'm a business person. I have an MBA. I know a lot about a lot of different areas, but marketing is really where I hung my hat. And if you remember when Amazon started, they were the world's biggest bookseller. All they did was sell books. And that was before e-commerce was a thing. People didn't just store their credit cards online. People went to Barnes and Noble. Like, you know, they went to brick and mortar stores to buy books. But Amazon said, hey, we can do this. Trust us. Look at our website. Buy a book. Give us your credit card. And we'll send it to you really quick. And it worked. And then when they built trust and built their brand on books, they started doing it with music. And, you know, they kept kind of expanding. And now, is there anything you wouldn't buy on Amazon? I mean, people buy jewelry, people buy clothes, food. I mean, you name it. They have your credit card number. They deliver to your home. I mean, again, they started with like one thing built yep. trust and then grew their brand over time. They didn't start with everything. Think of Oprah Winfrey. You know, she started as a newscaster, then built a talk show. You know, then she started the book club. Then she started the magazine. Martha Stewart, same thing. These people became mega brands. You know, over time, they kept adding once they built that relationship, that trust, they were able to expand the footprint of their brand. So I put my nose under the tent to help you with marketing. But once we're in your business, we can help you on a whole bunch of areas. But I don't want to walk in and say, oh, I can do everything. Like build the relationship, earn the trust, help them with their marketing, and then say to them, you know, I noticed your sales team seems to be stuck in this area. This is something I've had a lot of experience in. If you want to talk about it, let me know. 
And now you've got a captive audience because they know you've solved problems. You can help them. And it makes sense that sales and marketing work together. I worked at P&G and Coke. I probably do know a little bit about sales. And then all of a sudden you've added more customers, but you don't start there trying to boil the ocean. You can't, you can't convince people you can do it all. Start with your strengths and grow from there. Right. And you've got to start with, when you start with your strengths, you're starting with a, a smaller universe of problems that you can solve. Bingo. And that's very, I mean, it can be very specific and you have to be good. There's, there's no room for mediocrity. Absolutely. You've got to be the best at what you do and you've got to identify and you've got to be identifiable. And then you build that trust. I think Amazon is a great example of how they did that. And I, I, not only do they have my credit card number, my credit card is with them because I get a discount if I use my Amazon Chase card. Yeah. There you go. Right. And I'm a Prime member, so shipping is free. I, I mean, am too. They burned my trust. They got me. <laughs> hooked. You're hooked. <laughs> Yeah, that is great. And and they were authentically who they were. They were booksellers. Exactly. Exactly. And they branched they weren't out. Trying to be, not trying to be something that they weren't. Right. But they just delivered every day, exceeded expectations, earned your trust. So you came back for more. You recommended them. You referred them. You let your family, you know, your kids, your parents. That's how they grew. And that's why they're a bajillion dollar company today yes yes and and i i've had great experience with them and buying from them i also exactly. shop locally you know i'm not exclusively I, an amazon i, I don't I know do what you too. would call I, them i support small businesses locally all the time yes yeah it's great because that's um and there are small businesses on amazon too exactly so how can someone who's not Amazon, because we look at Amazon now and other large companies like Procter, can't say that, uh, Procter and Gamble, and they didn't start out that way. And someone who's starting today, they don't have million dollar budgets. What can they do to, to make a name for themselves to build their brand? So online marketing, social media is very affordable. You do not need multi-million dollar budgets to make make uh, a name for yourself today. And you can see there are a lot of brands that have successfully used Twitter or Facebook. Um, they've done ads online. Um, I'm a huge fan of PR. Um, and again, you don't have to hire a PR agency. If you can afford it, that's great. But there are a lot of things you can do, uh, content marketing online, blogging. There are a lot of ways to increase your visibility and awareness, uh, reach out to your target audience. If you start publishing on LinkedIn, let's say, you start uh, posting articles, you can repurpose those articles, turn them into infographics. You can uh, find other like-minded businesses that have newsletters or websites and share the articles with them, um, do link exchanges. Um, you can do what's called newsjacking, 
which if you see an article in the news about something going on, you can kind of bridge your company to that trend. So like when gas prices were going up, you know, a lot of companies were tying their cost of um, their products and services to like the gallon of gas. You, you know, you can always come up with little promotions um, that allow, you know, your audience to think about you when they wouldn't naturally be thinking about you. So um, I, I feel like, you know, when you see things like the Super Bowl or the Olympics, they always have official sponsors that pay millions of dollars to be able to, you know, throw the logo on and be uh, attached to the event. But there are a lot of businesses that can creatively come up with campaigns that talk about football or talk about track and field that are not actually sponsoring the the big event, but they're leveraging the activity to make you think of them with all the other big boys. So it, it, I think the smaller your budget, the more you have to be creative and hmm. scrappy, but it should not stop you from getting out there and telling your story. Right. And I think one, there's a couple of big things going on in sports. I think there was, there was just a big open at Pebble Beach, right? Yep. And if you're into soccer, you know Messi just signed with the team in Florida. That is huge. I, I am so excited about that. In fact, you gave me an idea. I think I'll write a blog post and tie together uh, something. I'm not sure what, but I'll, I'll put my thinking cap on later. But, but that, that'll get picked up in a lot of places that you might not even be noticed, like people didn't even know you. And then all of a sudden, they're going to read this and, you know, I think I always tell people another trick. If you have a blog and you like doing it, that's great. But if you have a blog, you have to feed the beast. You have to continually do it. You can't just blog every blue moon. You need to be consistent, whether it's a couple times a week or weekly, or if you start a newsletter, you want it to be biweekly or monthly or quarterly. You have to build that relationship with your audience. You can't blog three times the first week, once the second week, skip the third week. You know, that that again is going to dilute your brand. You seem kind of flighty hmm. and not predictable and not trustworthy. So if you're not going to blog regularly, find blogs that are very well trafficked in areas that you are playing and contribute to those blogs and make sure you put in your signature how people can find you. So if you're blogging about Messi and soccer, that's awesome. And then, you know, it might start a great conversation and then people will go back to your website and go like, who is this guy? I love Joe. Every time he chimes in, he makes a really smart comment and I agree with him. And then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're finding out that you've got, you know, these followings of people that didn't even know who you were before. And that's awesome. And again, if, uh, if you start a newsletter, you got to stick with it. But if you're not going to do it regularly, 
All you have to do is partner with companies that have regular newsletters and ask if you can contribute. Hmm. Can I send one in a month? You know, will you put this on your website? And that's a great way to reach audiences of like-minded customers who are going to be amenable to the messages you're you're sharing. Right. Right. Yeah, it's you know, a lot of marketing is about getting out there. Absolutely. In its most simple form, it is getting you authentically you in front of potential clients. And depending on your business, potential clients could be anywhere. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Well, that has There's, you have given me a lot of uh, food for thought there. And well, that's that's the, the way to do it. There's a quote that says, you know, 80 percent of success is about showing up. Hmm. You just got to get out there. You know, no one's going to come beating down your door if they, they if they don't know how to find you. Right. Make it. Make, Put those breadcrumbs out there, you know, build a website, optimize it, you know, for the search engines, plant those seeds so that, you know, they will find you and, you know, put those articles out there, find those strategic partners and affiliates and people will come back and be like, wow, this is a great business or I agree. I love these ideas. And they will find you if you make it easy for them to follow the breadcrumbs. That's the, that, I love that. That's make it easy for them to find you. That's right. Don't make it difficult. Make it easy for them to find you. Make it easy for them to know what you do and how you can help. And make it easy for them to engage with you and purchase from you. Bingo. Easy. The easy button. We need the easy button. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Paige, we have come to the point in the podcast that I like to call the lightning round. Excellent. Paige, how has your entrepreneurial journey transformed you? So many ways I wouldn't even know where to begin, Joe. Like I said, I really didn't expect to be an entrepreneur. I thought I would be kind of a corporate person building an established business and making it bigger. I think the fact that I created a brand from nothing, um, put a stake in the ground, and have been building and growing this business for more than two decades, it's just kind of amazing. I mean, I feel like, you know, I look back at my corporate career now, and I'm actually amazed I was as successful as I was, because now I realize I was always the person in the corporate job trying to bend, break, and change the rules, always. If you talk to any of my bosses as I was moving up the ranks, they would kind of shake their head and say, you know, hard worker, great attitude, but God, she was a pain in the ass. She always used to, you know, ask questions and try and, you know, change the way things were happening. When you're Procter & Gamble or Coca-Cola, you have a system that works really well. Like I said, you're a category leader. They're not looking for some, you know, up and comer to change the way they do anything. And I was always the one going to my boss saying like, have you ever thought about, or maybe we should think about, or let's consider. My boss would say like, no Paige, we don't need to, like, we know how to do this. Sure. All I need you to do is execute. Just do it flawlessly. 
And now I realize, I think all that pent up kind of energy and creativity and frustration probably made me a better entrepreneur because, you know, you are having to kind of create a new path and break, break rules and yeah. make new things happen. And I'm just so grateful that I was able to kind of pivot from being a more hierarchical corporate person to a more scrappy entrepreneurial person. And I've just had so much fun doing it. I think it's made the career really fun. Hmm. Um, and just, I feel like maybe I'll never get Alzheimer's because my synapses have to keep firing. <laughs> Great. And what most surprised you as a business owner? Oh, wow. Um, again, so many surprises. I mean, you've heard it before, but you really never work harder than you do for your own business. If you think like, oh, you know, I have such a great boss because I'm working for myself. Well, you do, but you're also very tough on yourself. And when it's your company, when it's your name on the door, when it's your business, there's always more that you can be doing. Yes. So it's really yeah. hard to turn it off. Yeah. And I just find like, you know, when you work for a paycheck, for someone else, when you leave, you leave, you check out, you know, you go have fun. When it's your company and your business, my brain is always turning. I'm always like, you know, like when we were talking and you said, oh, I have a great idea for a blog post. Like, it's hard to be off the clock, I think, as an entrepreneur. You're always coming up with ways that you can shake things up or grow your business. Yes, yes. What unexpected challenges have you had to overcome? Oh, boy. Again, where do I begin? Um, I had to fire one of my first clients, which was very unexpected. Um, but I think, again, when it's your business and your name on the door, the buck stops with you. And the client was a jerk. And I said we were going to have a no jerks policy. And I meant it. And I think, you know, you have to put your money where your mouth is. And, you know, I, I felt like if I don't nip this in the bud now, it's just going to get worse. And it's only going to be my fault. Like hmm. no one, you know, it's my company. No one's forcing me to do this. So if I'm going to say we're not going to work with people who we don't respect, who doesn't don't share our core values, then Put your money where your mouth is. You have is. to do that. And that, that's not always easy, especially in the beginning when you're, you're scraping right. for any client you can find. Right. No, this guy was a $10,000 a month mm. retainer business, and he signed a year-long engagement. And after three months, I fired him as a client. Yeah. Not easy, but I think it was an important milestone in my company because it sent a signal to my team that we were serious. Like, we really wanted clients who were consistent with the businesses we wanted to build. And um, I just feel like it's like Feng Shui, right? When you clear out the clutter, you open up space for yes. better things to come. And that's it's so important. It's such, such a great lesson for new entrepreneurs. And yeah, when we got rid of this guy, we replaced that revenue 
with way more revenue, with much higher quality hmm. clients that were much more consistent with the businesses we wanted to help build. So I think you just have to be brutally honest with yourself and be willing to make those tough decisions. Yeah, it goes back to and the authenticity that we spoke about. Yep, absolutely. So what book has made a big impact on you and who would you recommend that book to? So I'm a big reader. I'm always reading something. I believe in having a growth mindset and professional development and always kind of expanding your knowledge. I think one of the most powerful books I ever read was uh, Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends mm -hmm. and Influence People, uh, an oldie but goodie. Um, but I think it's just classic evergreen advice about human nature and what makes people tick. Um, and I think it's good for everybody, certainly for entrepreneurs. Yes. Just to remember, you know, it's not rocket science. People want to be respected. They want to be talked to like human beings. And, you know, I think in this day and age with artificial intelligence and, you know, all the CRM and computer programs, the hu being human and showing humanity just goes a long way. Yes, and that, that is a great book. I, re I recommend that book often also, yeah. What advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs in your industry? Wow, well, we talked about it a little bit already. Everybody's a brand today, so you better make sure you have uh, a, a strong online presence and that when people Google you, they see the you you want them to see and that you know you have a consistent look and feel across everything all the touch points the person that shows up whether it's on the soccer field at the restaurant at the tennis club um, running at the gym whatever that it's a consistent holistic view of that person hmm. and um, that at the end of the day, you know, you're building a brand that you're going to be proud of that you'll you'll uh, share and people will be proud to refer business to you and, um, you know, open doors and, you know, want to be partners with you because, mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot easier when people uh, pull you in versus push you away. Yes. I, th I think you want to be you want to be a brand that people want to spend time with that they trust and that they come back to time and time again. That's those are the best businesses. Absolutely. Great advice. Great advice. And Paige, thank you so much for for spending the time with me today and with our audience. Great information. Uh, you have such an interesting journey and so much experience in the marketing. So thank you for sharing. This has been a great conversation. Thank you, Joe. It's been so fun chatting with you. And I just encourage people to, you know, think of yourself as a brand and um, really be consistent. It, it, the, the best brands, um, they really are the most profitable hmm. because people keep coming back for more. Right. And for our listeners today, do you have anything uh, you can leave them or, or uh, how, how could they get in touch with you if they want to know more about you and the uh, moguls and mavens and moguls? 
So the website's a great place to start, mavensandmoguls.com, M-A-V-E-N-S-A-N-D-M-O-G-U-L-S.com. I've got tons of free content, videos, podcasts, lots and lots of uh, marketing materials um, and content that will get you well on your way uh, to learning a lot about um, online marketing and branding. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, Paige Arnoff Finn. Even though my name is hyphenated in real life, LinkedIn smushed it all together. <laughs> so it's Paige Arnoff Finn, one word. And as one of my clients says, because my company has an ampersand and my last name is hyphenated, she always says, I always forget everything except Paige and Mavens. So when I Google it, you pop right up. So thank goodness for search engine optimization. <laughs> if nothing else, you can find me with Paige and Mavens. Oh, that's great. But we will have all of that information in the show notes if you read the show notes. If you don't like to read show notes, Paige and Maven. And there you go. It. Very good. Great. Well, thank you very much. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for having me, Joe. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks. Bye-bye now.